If you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab the, the one that's there in the rack in front of you. Today's passage, uh, you should find it on page 818. And it'd be good to, to keep that open in front of you as we go through today's sermon. Uh, as you're turning there, I, I want to invite you, particularly our, uh, our, our members and, and regular attenders. Uh, well, actually, I want to invite everybody uh, to our Soup Sunday on February the 25th. This is the time where we gather as a church. Uh, we bring food to share uh, and we eat together. This Soup Sunday will be special in that during our time together, uh, we will actually be turning in our pledge cards uh, for the building campaign. Um, we began this pledge drive at the beginning of this month. You should have gotten a card in the mail. If you did not get a card, there should be some out on the, the table, the resource table in the gathering area. Uh, but this is a time where we're trying to uh, discern, right? We have a master plan before us uh, and uh, to increase our seating capacity both here but also in our classrooms uh, and it's a very ambitious plan. It's a very big plan. So we've spent time in prayer, uh, and now uh, we are asking the Lord to provide for uh, the first phase of this project. And so we're going to turn those pledge cards in, and then uh, the elders, the session of the church, is also calling a congregational meeting for that time because there is some extra property along the back of our property now uh, a narrow strip that we will be acquiring or that we would like to acquire. Uh, and that is, um, has to happen by vote of the congregation. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that on the, on the day of the congregational meeting. Of course, if you have questions about any of those things, the pledge drive, the building, fun, uh, the building campaign, the master plan, even acquiring that property, uh, members of our building committee will be out at the easels in the gathering area after the worship service to answer any of your questions. Uh, that's by this main door over here. You'll see where those easels are, and they'll be there to answer those questions for you. Uh, now, let's give our attention to God's Word, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away or stumbles. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word in this passage so that we would be transformed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been going through Matthew's gospel for some time now. Uh, and there are five blocks of Jesus' teaching in Matthew's gospel. This is the third in Matthew 13. And it is full of parables. Now, what's a, what's a parable? Well, it's a story that uses something from the, the world around us that we're familiar with. Uh, to make a spiritual point. And parables are not, uh, I'm going to get a little technical here, parables are not allegories, right? They're not meant to have every single detail pressed out to say, oh, this could mean that, and that could mean this, and that's not, uh, that's not what parables do. Usually parables make one specific point. Uh, and usually Jesus is pretty clear about what that point is. And the parables in this chapter uh, all talk about God's kingdom or how the kingdom comes. So what does this parable teach us about the kingdom? This parable is about the word of the kingdom. Jesus' message, right? That's what Jesus uh, says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. So it tells us how the kingdom comes. And it's about hearing that word, listening to that word, and receiving it. You you heard multiple times in that passage as I read it, words for hearing and understanding. To understand means not simply to just hear that something said, but actually to take it in and do something with it, right? Uh, every child in the room has probably had their parent tell them, you're not listening to me. 
You're not hearing me. Maybe a few husbands in the room have had their wives tell them something similar. Maybe. I don't know. Not in my home. Um, right? So, so we're talking about what's at question here is the hearing of that word. And the first thing we're going to see is that the kingdom comes, the way that God brings his kingdom and the way that that kingdom comes in is by hearing his word, receiving it, doing something with it. Uh, Jesus uses this image of the sower sowing seed, and this really isn't the main point, but it's kind of a side point. I want you to notice just how uh, the best word I can think of is, is liberal, not in the political sense, but free, uh, how liberal this sower is. He is throwing seed everywhere. I mean, if this guy worked for you, you'd probably get on to him. Be like, hey, um, could you not throw the seed over there? It's not going to grow anything over there, right? Just stop. Don't, don't waste the seed. But this sower doesn't care. He's sowing seed everywhere. I think this is a picture of the generosity. Later on, Jesus in verse 37 in another parable says he's the sower of the seed. I think this parable shows us the generous character of Jesus. He's not withholding. He is, he is liberally throwing the seed far and wide because he is a generous sower. But if the seed is the message of the kingdom and Jesus is the sower, uh, what, is the, what is the point of this story? And I think Jesus captures it in verse 9 where he, he finishes the parable. And then he says this, He who has ears, let him hear. That may sound a little bit odd. Because if you have ears, you hear. Probably what we would say uh, is, listen up. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen up. Pay attention. What I'm saying to you is important. I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about life and death. So you need to be all ears. That's the point of this passage. Jesus is saying that if you want to receive the kingdom, then you need to listen and understand the word. God's kingdom comes into your life and becomes a reality by hearing his word and receiving it. This, by the way, just a couple of takeaways, a couple of application points. This, by the way, is why we don't gather every Sunday morning and watch The Chosen. Or Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. It's why we uh, don't do dramas and plays and interpretive dances. We focus on the word. God's kingdom comes by hearing the word. Paul would say in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God, in his wisdom, has ordained that the word is the means of salvation. The word is the way that people come in. And so we focus that's how God reveals himself, so we focus on the word. Even think back to one of the more dramatic visual moments in the story of the Bible. Think back to the Exodus, if you're familiar with that story, when God rescues Israel from Egypt by doing big things that, that everyone could see. Right? He sends these plagues. He carries them through the Red Sea. When they get to Mount Sinai, right, the mountain, uh, God's presence, sets the mountain on fire. Very visual things. And yet, 
What is God doing the whole time he's doing all of those big visual things? He's speaking. He's telling his people what he's doing. He's interpreting his actions. He's not leaving them to guess, right? We say uh, that a picture is worth a thousand words, but we probably would agree that uh, every picture could have a thousand different interpretations. God doesn't leave them to guess what's going on. He says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Even when they get to Mount Sinai, What does God give his people for their continuing walk with him? Does he say, all right, dads, I want you to reenact the Exodus every year. We want you to put on community plays where, you know, Tom over here is going to be the the hail. Jenny over here is going to be the river of blood. Uh, Bo, you get to be the frogs, right? No, he doesn't tell them to do that. He gives them his word. Fathers are to remind their children from God's word, right? God doesn't, God doesn't give us a picture book. He gives us his words. He's a speaking God. That's also why we put emphasis, yes, we put emphasis on preaching here. But we also want to put an emphasis on equipping our members to understand God's word and share God's word. The preacher is not the only sower in the congregation. We want to be a people who are equipped to know and to share God's word because that's how the kingdom comes. But as we see, not everyone receives the word in the same way. Why not? Well, and that's the the second point. God's word always accomplishes his purpose. He will all it will always do what he wants it to do. Uh, The disciples in verse 10, they uh, approach Jesus and they ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? And they're they're saying that because Jesus has changed his approach. In the first two blocks of Jesus' teaching, Jesus is pretty direct. Now, most of that is directed to his disciples, but it's very clear, for the most part, what he's saying. But now Jesus changes his approach. Now he's, he's telling stories. And the meaning of those stories is not immediately clear. And so... They ask him, why are you teaching them in parables? Now, some teachers and scholars, people over the years, have said that that Jesus uses these parables to help people understand. That they're like sermon illustrations uh, to help bring home the point. But that's not actually what Jesus says. Look at what Jesus says uh, in verse 13. He tells us that, while his, his, he tells us that his parables accomplish two things. They reveal the truth to some, but they conceal the truth for others. There's two audiences. Uh, the parables reveal the truth to some, and they conceal the truth to others. God's purpose is both. Uh, look at verse 13. I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And then he goes on to quote from the prophet Isaiah, who had the same exact kind of ministry. He was told to proclaim God's word, but he was also told that as he did that, people would not respond to it. That people would see, but not see. That they would hear, kind of like your kids hear the words coming out of your mouth, 
but they wouldn't respond. And he would say that because, it's because their hearts are, in Hebrew, grown fat. They're dull. They're lethargic. They're hardened. They're unresponsive. Jesus says, uh, this, and this is kind of a turning point now in his ministry, um, as we begin, we, we haven't quite made the turn to the cross yet, but uh, now he begins not to speak openly, right? Because the crowds are not responding to him. He's speaking in parables because they're not, they're not really responding to Jesus. They're seeing, they have eyes, but they don't see what he's doing. They have ears, but they're not hearing him. And so he is judging their hard-heartedness. And yet we see that some, like the disciples, right, in, in one sense, when, so when Jesus says, listen up, if you have ears to hear, let him hear, when he says, listen up, that's an invitation. If, if we were in that crowd, what Jesus is inviting you to do is to, to hear him teaching and be like, huh, I don't think he's talking about a farmer sowing seed. I think there's something else going on there. I need to ask him about that, which is exactly what the disciples do, right? So it's an invitation for those who are truly interested, truly seeking to come and hear him explain it further. But to the rest of the crowd who are just like, hey, yeah, this Jesus, nice guy. It's kind of fancy. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I will, now, I will now speak in parables. If they want to know more, they can come seek me out. But if they don't want to listen, I'm not going to make them listen. Why do some listen? Why do some listen when others do not? We'll go back and look at verse 11. After the disciples come to him and ask him to explain himself, here's how he answers them. He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Jesus says, quite plainly, that the reason some respond and others do not is because God chooses to reveal himself to those who respond. That the reason the disciples can understand what Jesus is saying is because it has been given to them. It is a gift. They're not smarter than their neighbors. They're not better than their neighbors. They're not more deserving than their neighbors. In fact, look at how they should respond. Look at what Jesus says to them in 16 and 17, how they should respond to that. He says, blessed are your eyes, right? Blessed, you have received God's favor. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I know this is a, a, a troubling statement. But I didn't make it up. Presbyterians didn't make it up. John Calvin didn't make it up. Jesus, Jesus says it very clearly. The reason that you understand the mysteries of the kingdom is because it has been given to you. You did not earn it. You did not work for it. And that is true of every single believer in this room. If you have believed the word of the gospel, if you have heard it and received it, it is because God has allowed that to happen in your life. It is a gift of his. Why does God give that gift to some and not to others? I do not know. 
Jesus does not explain himself here. He simply says that it is a gift of grace when someone responds. And the reason why that's important is so that you and I don't get proud. So that you and I don't go, well, at least I'm better than Joe. At least I, at least I believe the gospel. I don't know what his problem is. And right, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, salvation is by grace through faith. Why? So that no one would boast. I don't know about you, but if I can get just a little bit of credit, I'm going to take it. I like to boast. But when it comes to believing the gospel, you can't. It's all of God's grace. That's what Jesus says here. It's why some respond and others don't. And yet, we're still responsible for how we hear. And that's one of the mysteries uh, that we see in Scripture. God is sovereign. He does soften hearts. He does open ears. And yet, we are responsible for how we hear. That's the point of the parable. Jesus says, listen up. We are responsible for how we hear the message. And in this parable... Jesus gives four different kinds of soil, four different kinds of hearers. That doesn't mean that this is all the hearers there are, right? We're not, you know, only a quarter of the people will actually respond. That's not necessarily Jesus' point. He's just saying there are four different kinds of hearers. And he gives that explanation starting in verse 18 uh, when he says, Hear, understand the, the, the parable of the sower. The first kind of soil, the first dirt, We could call the indifferent dirt, right? This is the person who hears it but doesn't understand it and doesn't really want anything to do with it, and so it's snatched away. That's that's the path. That's the seed sown beside the hard ground of the path. It doesn't even have a chance to, to get in. The second soil we might call the frustrated soil or the frustrated person. Here the the seed is sown among thorns. Excuse me, no, uh, sown on rocky soil where the, uh, the roots can't go as deep. So if you, uh, if you come to my house in late July or August, especially when there hasn't been any rain, you'll notice a, a band, a brown band of grass that goes right beside the road. We live on a corner, so I get a whole two sides of my yard that just dies, right? Uh, because... The grass doesn't grow very deep there, right? If you were to dig up a hole, you would see that there's asphalt underneath there. The soil is very shallow. So it looks great. Can't tell the difference as long as there's rain. But as soon as the heat comes, then the grass just gives up. It's scorched and it withers. Jesus says this is the person who initially responds with great joy. Right? They love what they hear and they're, they're all on board. We love, I love Jesus. But then pressure comes. Persecution on account of the word is what Jesus says. And that persecution causes this person, uh, in the ESV it says fall away, uh, but uh, it's the word to scandalize or to be offended, right? This person, uh, when when pressure comes, when persecution comes, throws in the towel and says, "Mm, I don't want anything more to do with Jesus. I've had it, right? Right? that's the, that's the frustrated person. It's why 
uh, we don't get overly excited. We don't even, in fact, use the language of decisions for Christ. You'll, you'll hear sometimes evangelists or pastors or ministries say, oh, there were so many decisions for Christ at last night's event. We don't want to use that terminology. Right? Because, because Christianity doesn't come in a decision. It comes in a lifetime of perseverance and fruit bearing. So we, we don't get all excited about one-time decisions. We want to see faithfulness over the long haul. It's why we don't get excited about celebrities who all of a sudden have a dramatic conversion. Now, I mean, we can be glad, we can thank God and pray that it's genuine and real, but it's, we're not all jumping on that bandwagon because we want to see, is this person going to stand the test of time, especially when persecution comes, especially when pressure comes on account of the word That's the second soil. The third soil, if the second soil was frustrated, we might call this third person distracted. And this one is probably the most difficult. This is the person, this person could be in church for her entire life, his entire life, and live a a fruitless life because they are distracted by the cares of the world. So we... It would be hard to, maybe hard to, to see on the outside, is this person a believer or not, right? We don't know, and Jesus isn't necessarily super clear about that part. Just see that this person is distracted by everything they got going on. And all of us know that pressure, right? The, the cares of the world have amped up considerably in the past two generations, Right? When, when I look at the, the number of activities that I was involved in in high school, it was probably double the amount that my parents were involved in when they were in high school. And then my grandparents probably weren't involved in any because they were just trying to survive. Right? But, so the cares of this world, right? the things, the, all the different things that we're supposed to care about, not supposed to care about, right? those are very distracting. And Jesus adds to that the deceitfulness of riches. Why? Because... Whether you're poor or whether you're rich, wealth can be very seductive, right? We can, we can fall into the lie. We can be seduced by the lie that says, man, if I just had that, then life would be better. If I, if I could just get that. So whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, we all fall prey to that same seductive tendency to say, oh, if we just had a little bit more, then my life, then I would find fulfillment in life. Jesus says that the person who's in that boat, right, they're surrounded by thorns. Their life is fruitless, right? This would, you're, you're probably a struggling, unhappy Christian at best if you're in this boat. So that's the, that's the third soil. And then there's the fourth. And this is the good soil. And Jesus says that this soil, the per, this person is the one who bears fruit, The mark of Christian maturity is not hours spent in Bible study. The mark of Christian maturity is not loads of Bible knowledge. No, such study and knowledge should be applied and put to use. It should bear fruit. That's the mark of Christian maturity is fruitfulness. Jesus saves us to bear fruit. 
And notice, too, that the amount of fruit is different depending on the soil. Right? Some people produce a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Right? The amount of fruit that you bear really isn't the main point. We can kind of get in, the, in this competition, right, jockeying for, oh, man, if I, just, if I could just produce as, as much fruit as Steve Tipton, then I would have arrived, right? If I, at, least, at least I'm producing more fruit than, I'm not going to use anybody's name, uh, right? But that's, that really misses the point. Jesus' point is that the good soil is what we want to be. And the, and the proof that we are good soil is that our lives are producing fruit. And the rest of the New Testament tells us what that fruit looks like. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I bet every child in the room could tell me what the fruit of the Spirit is. What is it, guys? Yeah. You want to know if you're maturing as a Christian? Look for that fruit in your life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't study God's word. I'm saying that the study of God's word is just a means to an end. That's maturity is bearing fruit. So how do we apply this? Be good dirt. Be good soil. Pray. Right? Here's the problem about soil. Though, it can't make itself good. Who has to make the soil good? The farmer. Right? He's the one who comes through and he tills it up. And so, if as you've heard this, you've said, mm, I could be that distracted person. I, I could be that frustrated person. There are some times when I feel like I'm that indifferent person. What do you do if that's you? Ask Jesus to till up the soil. And how does he till it up? Repent. This is, this is what we call the gospel waltz. Repent, believe, and fight. When he shows you your sin, repent of it. Run to him. Trust in him. Ask his Holy Spirit to enable you to obey. Repent, believe, fight. Right? That's, that's Jesus tilling up the soil. So pray that you would be good dirt. Pray that God would make you Good dirt. Pray for open eyes and hearing ears and soft hearts. Parents, pray this for your children. Pray it for yourself. But also pray it for your children. Pray that your children would be good soil. We're the soil. Jesus is the farmer. If you're here this morning, and maybe for the first time you've heard that Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe this is your first time to walk in the, the door of a church, but you've heard about this Jesus. You've heard that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Then, friend, come. Come to the sower. Respond to his word. Believe and be saved. Let's pray. God in heaven... Again, as I prayed at the beginning, I pray again, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that understand. Lord, we need you to do this work in us because it is not a work that we can do ourselves. Lord, would you 
Give it to us. Lord, in the, in the words of the old hymn, how sweet and awesome is the place. Would you make us like the, the people in that hymn who said, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? While thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Twas the same love that set the feast that sweetly drew us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God, constrain their hearts to come. And that's our prayer. That as the word is sown in this room and in this county and in our country and across the world, that you would pity the nations, that you would open our eyes and that we would hear your good news and be saved. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.